uh, whenever we talk about suffering, I tell you that a thousand emotions go through our mind. Thousands of emotions. And uh, suffering is a, a very, um, um, even when you're looking at the topic, it's a very thick topic um, in, in the Word of God. And it's a very difficult topic um, to, even, um, uh, to even talk about it. And the reason why it's a difficult topic to say to talk about it as a group is because many people have gone through various degrees of suffering. And some of the suffering is absolutely um, extreme. And, uh, and then some of the suffering is, is hard, but it's not over-the-top extreme. Uh, suffering uh, stays with us. So in other words, if we suffered way back then, or if we lost somebody way back then, suffering doesn't go away. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, all the way even from childhood, suffering doesn't go away. Something takes place that's devastating there. It, it carries into your marriage and it carries to, with your life. It's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge, um, huge issue. And uh, when you're looking at, at suffering, um, it is a tough topic to talk about. Um, but the Bible um, carries um, uh, a perspective and, and a power that, that, um, that is huge in the dynamics of suffering. And that's what we're going to look at it today is that when you're suffering, what should you do? You should be meeting with God through the process um, of suffering. So I got five different points that I'll just kind of work through. That if, if you're going to meet with God in suffering, the first thing you have to do before you can even start is you have to understand suffering. Uh, many people don't understand suffering. You know, a lot of people say, I suffer because God's mad at me. You know, um, I suffer because, because I'm being disciplined. Um, I suffer because God doesn't like me. You know, there's, there's all these different areas of, of where our minds go uh, when we suffer. And they're usually areas that come and literally destroy us. So understanding suffering is the first step that if you're ever going to meet with God in suffering, you can't even relax and go to God until you can understand suffering. So just to give you a couple areas of why we suffer. These are the reasons why we suffer. There's a couple more areas out there, but these are the reasons. We suffer as a result of living in a fallen world of sin and death. You know, um, last week I uh, fell off a ladder. You know, I, I mentioned that I fell off a ladder and, uh, it didn't hurt. You know, I just, it was only eight feet and, and I, I jumped off a ladder and, 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 and it was going down. I just, you know, okay, landed and I just, you know, broke my fall and, and it was not that big of a deal. And the reason why it's not that big of a deal is because, you know, in my twenties, um, I don't know what it was, but it's, if I jump from a distance and I, I land on the ground, I could like break my fall. I mean, when I was 20 years old. I mean, I remember in high school, I jumped off this bridge. It was like 30 feet and the water is, water is only eight feet deep. And I was showing off because there's girls, you know, there and this is, you know, we're on a hiking trip and I said, I made a bet. Hey, you think I can jump off this? They say, Oh, you can't jump. That's 30 feet and the water's not deep enough. I said, well, I could slam against the water and stop my fall and then land on the ground really, really hard. And I mean, that's, that's what I did when I was 20. Boom. I did it. It didn't hurt. It hurt at all. So when I fell off the ladder, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm 20 again. And then Wednesday, I, I, I couldn't walk. And Thursday, it's like, is something growing inside of my knee? And, and then Friday, and today I'm just kind of wobbling around. I called the, I called the surgeon, not because I need surgery, but because I was there last year and I was thinking I might need surgery. And now all of a sudden it's getting all inflamed. And, you know, I don't want to talk about this, but 
I'm dying. <laughs> I am. And in the process of me dying, it's a slow death. I, mean, I have no idea where I'll be in 20 years. I mean, the way, the way that it's going, it's like, yes, I was strong when I was 20. I think I'm strong when I'm 49. What am I going to look like when I'm 60? I mean, as we're walking towards death, we're dying. That's the way it is. We're, we're a, not a living people. We're a dying people. What are you going to get? You're going to get suffering. Period. From all different directions. The wages of sin is death, according to um, Romans 6, 23. And that is why we suffer. A major reason why we suffer. Because we're living in this body that is dying. We live in this world that is, is, is the nature of sinful. So then we start asking the question, why do I have cancer? Why did God allow a car accident to take place? Why was I abused when I was a child? Why did I go bankrupt? Why am I disabled? Why have my children rebelled against me? All of a sudden, this suffering. Why am I in chronic pain? Why are tsunamis taking place? It's because the world we lived in is, is cursed to death. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, death will take place and we're in the middle of it. That's the reason why we're suffering. We can say, God is doing something as a result of my suffering. You know, what's, what's taking place? No, we can blame it on the entire area of sin and death in the world we live in. Then you can say, well, it's, it's God's fault. Well, yes, it is. It is God's fault. And the reason why it's God's fault, we can pretend like it's God's fault. I'm being kind of facetious. The reason why we can pretend it's God's fault is because when Adam and Eve sinned, He had a choice to make. Number one he could have done, he could have just given them what they deserved. Chucked them out. He could have done that. Give them what they deserved and just just destroyed them. That's what he could have done. And do you know what that would have done? That would have honored his holiness. And it would have been all right. But he didn't. He chose to let time go in the process of a world of death. And as a result, as time goes in the process of the world of death... What's going to take place? Suffering is going to happen. It's just going to happen. And it's going to come around the corner and we're not going to get out of it. Number two, we suffer as a result of sinning. Here's another area of why we suffer. These are the only areas why we suffer. We result in sin and death. We result as, as sinning. If uh, you break one of the Ten Commandments, you will suffer. Sorry. I mean, if you sin, it comes with consequences. Murder somebody, I guarantee you'll suffer. Commit adultery, I guarantee. That weight actually comes on you and you start suffering. You know, the result of just sin is, that's why God says don't sin. Because I don't want to destroy yourself. You're the temple of the living God. Don't lie. And do you know why? It's because if you lie, you will annihilate all your relationships and you will not be able to come close to them. That's what sin does. It just... The result of doing it actually just brings us up, and that's why the rules are in the Bible. Do not do this. Well, what about using the Lord's name in vain? Nobody pays a price when you use the Lord's name in vain. What about the people that are all around you that do not know God, and you use the Lord's name in vain in front of them, and their souls are priceless? What about them? What about them? Well, you must not believe because well, you're cursing God in this process. No, they suffer as a result. Whenever sin takes place, they're suffering. Galatians 6, 7. A man reaps what he sows. 
The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. So the, the areas to look at this is I sin, I start paying for it. I pay for that because it's just wrong. Not that God's doing something against me. I just, I just pay for the result of, of, of doing it. Number three, we suffer as a result of other people's sins. There's a lot of hurt that people have had. One out of four have been molested. I mean, those are staggering statistics. Uh, do you believe it? You know, I'm like, no, those statistics are way too high. Until I became a pastor. And when I became a pastor, people are in my office saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, was, I was molested as a child. Yeah, I was molested in high school. Yeah, I was date raped. I mean, all this stuff just is taking place, and this has increased as a result of pornography. Did you sin when it took place? The answer is no, but somebody else did. And what are you doing? You're paying the price even of their sin. It's a horrific amount of suffering that takes place as a result of somebody else doing something, and it makes us, it makes us suffer. Number four, we suffer... Because God disciplines us. So when you look at these four, you start to think, okay, where is the major weight of suffering? Uh, a lot of people in their mind will go, we're suffering because God's disciplined me. Um, I remember spanking my children. I spank my children. The Bible says spank your children. I spank my children. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, upset. I'm not upset about it. The way that I did it, is I go in there and it took like 45 minutes to spank my children. You're like, 45 minutes to spank your children? Yes, 45 minutes. The reason why is he had to talk about it. <laughs> he had to talk about it. Okay, what did you do? Okay, what did you do? We talked. And the kids hated to talk. They're just like, just spank me, Dad. <laughs> you know? But then after we're done talking about it, you're connecting with your child. And then we connect with your child. And then I say, okay, well, I just don't want you to do it again. Now that you understand it, and then we're going to get a spanking. And I remember some spankings. That, that I did. I, um, Maddie, uh, my oldest daughter, she used to grab her arms around my neck, like around my head like this. And so I just wrap her up like this. And then I have the pad on. I, I go like this. <laughs> you know? I mean, it kills a father to do that. Um, and, and the reason why is because you just don't want them to get hurt by it. So you're doing it. But I understood every time they got a spanking, what it was for, and it was for their good. So when we start thinking of discipline and God discipline, he's the ultimate father. You will know that you're being disciplined by him when this takes place. If you're suffering, say I'm just going to make up stories. Say you're suffering with chronic pain. Oh, I'm suffering as a result of my sinful life. Um, no, you're not. You're dying. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're dying. Why? Because your sinful life was redeemed. And he's not trying to change you and change your behavior. Your sinful life is done and it's been forgiven. You're not suffering for your sinful life because you have chronic pain. I had cancer. I'm suffering for you know, what I, what all, all the things I've done in my life. No, you're not. You're not suffering. You're suffering because you're dying. That's what the area you're doing. So when, when we're looking at suffering, don't just go to God and say, you got your 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 hand is against me, and and as a result, your hand being against me, I'm being punished. That's not. It's mostly not the case. You know when there's a correction that takes place, because it's an immediate correction that says, "Don't do it again," and that's when discipline happens. So when you look at the categories of, I'm just gonna, you know, just I don't even want to. I don't want to classify it. 
But number one is the largest reason why we suffer. Number two, yes, we sin, so we suffer. Number three, yes, we sin because other or other people sin, and that's the result we suffer. And then we suffer. All those are a minute degree compared to number one. So in most cases, number one plays the role. Uh, Roman numeral number two, understand the reason why Christ suffered. If you're going to meet with God, you have to understand the reason why Christ suffered. Number five, God used suffering to destroy the blade of sin and death. God wanted to turn suffering on its head. He wanted to destroy sin and death is what he wanted to do. So what he did is he came to the cross as the ultimate sin and death, as all sins are placed on his shoulders, and the death brought him clear to the grave. That's what he did. But he says, you're not going alone in this. I'm going to use sin and death to destroy sin and death. That's where God is. Our God doesn't just say, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, I don't care about your suffering. Oh, I don't even know. What he's going to do is he's got an enemy, and his enemy is Satan. And he's going to take Satan's tools and destroy him with his own tools. 1 Corinthians 2.6. We do, however, speak of a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before the time began. None of the rulers of this age, meaning none of the angels, none of the demons, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified our Savior. God is bringing forth a wisdom that is so deep and so strong is I will go into suffering to destroy suffering. No other God would do that. And this is a God that wants a relationship with you. This is a God that cares about you. This is a God that loves you. How much? He loves you this much. So if you're suffering, is there any resources that you should go to? It's got to be the Almighty. Because God used it to destroy the blade of sin and death. So go to it to find that healing of sin and death. Number six, God uses suffering to bring us to the greatest glory that can be reached. When you're looking at um, it, your life, your suffering, you got to say, well, I'm just going to move to the car accident, cancer has taken place, death of a loved one, all these, these things are taking place. And you're saying it's meaningless. It's, it's meaningless. No, it's not meaningless. God has taken it to destroy it, and God has actually taken it to give you glory. In other words, God all of a sudden puts meaning to it. And how does he put meaning to it? He puts glory on it. He puts weight on it. That's what glory means. Glory means weight. And says, you will practically be paid for it. You will practically even be paid for it in regards to the suffering that you're going through. We see this in um, uh, Hebrews 11. Some faced years of flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. 
Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, and then they refused to be relieved so that they might gain a better resurrection. He came to conquer it. Then he almost compensates us for it. And the, and the reason why is because the world needs to know that sin and death has been conquered by Jesus Christ and somebody needs to proclaim it. And who's going to proclaim it? The ones that are suffering are the ones that are actually the ones that are proclaiming it. Because when you suffer, what happens, the real you shows up. The real you is always hidden until suffering happens. I mean, we know that. When you're hammering a nail and you hit your thumb with the hammer, what comes out? The real you. And you don't want them to come out often. But it always brings the real you up. When things are suffering in your life, what comes out? The real you arises. Well, the real them came out as they were suffering. Goatskins and destitutes and persecuted and mistreated. They were so priceless that the world was not even worthy of these real, of these people. And the real them came up. And who was the real them? I'm anchored in the cross of Christ. He died, he rose, and the world needs to know that. And as a result of my suffering, God is even going to compensate me with what, according to that passage? A better resurrection. What do you mean by a better resurrection? That when I'm alive, I'm alive. I'm talking about in heaven. And when I'm alive in heaven, I'm alive in heaven for eternity, forever and ever. As a result of, according to this, payment that God practically gives you as a result of your suffering. See, he used it to turn Satan upside down, but then he allows it to, to continue to take place, and he's allowed it to continue to take place. Time is going. He's not practically going to compensate you for it, where the resurrection of your resurrection will be glorious in the process of you walking through with what you're walking through. Number seven, God uses suffering to make us the strongest people imaginable in a world that needs God. Is God real? The world will not know it until they see a suffering church. Now, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Whenever the church suffered, what happened? God's name was proclaimed and the church increased with massive numbers. But when the church is comfortable and they're not suffering, what happens? It seems like it just doesn't grow as fast. It seems like it's not as, as powerful. It's not as, as strong. The church in China is growing more aggressively than the church in America. Why? The reason why is because it's underground. Why would they go underground? Because they're making a proclamation to the world that they have something that they're willing to die for. And whenever you make the statement, I have something that's being willing to die for, all these ears start tickling. All these eyes start looking up and say, who are those people? Those people are wild. Those people are, are crazy. They suffer, but they're okay. They suffer, but they're, but they're all right. They suffer, but they're at peace. They suffer, but they're at rest. It blows the world away when persecution on Christians take place. It blow them away. So we can ask God, coming from God's perspective, look at it. If God wants to grow his church, probably suffering will come down and persecution will take place if the church is going to grow. <laughs> but does God pull that suffering away and say, okay, I'm not going to do it? 
And then how all of a sudden have, well, we don't really care about God. And have our comfort, our God. Have our money, our God. Have our peace, our God. And embrace other gods like I talked about this word. So if you look from God's perspective, what do I, what do, I do? He wants people to come to himself. I mean, we suffer as a result of sin. He wants us to come to uh, the world of sin. He wants us to come to himself. And he does. He holds it back. So, but that doesn't draw us to him. When do people go to church? People go to church when their marriages are broken. People go to church when they're hurting. People go to church when they're sick. People go to church when they're dying. People don't go to church because, I got to go to church because there's a party at church. We should go to church because there's a party at church and worship awesome God as a result of it. But people go up to church because they're suffering. And they need help. But often people leave churches after God answers their prayer. Then they take off and they go, oh good, I got help. It just shows who their God is. First Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Okay, so meet with God and suffering. How are we going to do it? Moving to the next one. Embrace God's unconditional love. If you want to meet with God in suffering, what you want to do is you want to embrace his unconditional love. Um, Does God love you unconditionally? Yes. That's it. So if you're suffering, what are you going to do? It's the one thing that you want to go after. What do you mean by this? Let's talk a little bit about it. Number eight, the only way to get to, to love God for himself is to suffer and not know the reason why. I just read this somewhere and it's always just stuck with me is that we make faith a feeling. In other words, you're going to have faith. And when you have faith, it's like, I have faith. And as a result, I feel the presence of God. I feel the glory of God. I feel like God is walking with me. I feel like God is talking with me. As soon as you say those words... The word faith is actually gone. Do you know that? Because you're not basing your relationship with God on faith. You're actually basing it, basing it on feeling. So I'm going to have faith so I can feel God. That's not faith. That's not faith. What is faith? Faith is believing when you don't feel it. That's what faith is. I believe when I don't feel it. I believe when I don't sense it. What is that? That's what you call faith. God, I I don't know where you're at. God, I I don't see you. But I believe. But I believe. And I'm going to do it anyway. What happens to that person? That person gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in their faith because they're not using a feeling as regard to their faith. And then all of a sudden, the world comes crashing down and nobody's feeling anything. But the only people that are standing are the person that believes when they don't feel it. Because that's what faith is. That's why you get this word, believe in, 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 in faith. That's where you find your strength. When you find your strength in suffering is to suffer and know God loves you unconditionally. The first thing that gets attacked when you suffer is God doesn't love me. God, God doesn't love me. The greatest book in the Bible in regards to suffering was the book of Job. And uh, what took place in the book of Job? What took place in the book of Job is that there's a deal made between God and Satan, practically. And uh, just in a sense that um, um, 
Job loves you, and the only reason he loves you is because you take care of him. Those the words that the words in the first chapter of Job. But if you did not take care of him, if, if he did not feel you, he would not love you anymore. If you didn't have this shelter, he would not love you anymore. And God says, yes, he will, because he believes in me. And then you see this deal happen where you can have him, but you don't kill him. And all of a sudden, this, this plague after plague after plague after plague after plague comes on top of Job. And Job doesn't know the reason why. So what happens? His wife says, curse God and die. And he's like, I can't. I believe in him. And she's like, how can you believe in him when your life is going so bad? So then his friends, his counselors go up to him and they say what? You're messed up, Job. This is what they're telling him. They're trying to give him an answer to why he's suffering. But what is the answer of why he's suffering? It's because God made a deal at the beginning. And God never told him the reason why. He never told him the reason why. You go all the way through the book. And after you go all the way through the book of never understanding the reason why, Job starts to pray for his friends. And when he starts to pray for his friends, guess what happened? His fortune and everything comes back. And then God still doesn't tell him the reason why. Well, what was the reason why? Job suffered. We know the concept of, of, you know, the deal that was made. But the reason why Job suffered is because God wanted you and he wanted me to read that book for 3,000 years. To see that inside your suffering, there's an unconditional love that you will not be lost inside your suffering. That that love has not changed. And God is not going to tell you why you're suffering. He's just not. He's going to tell you that my unconditional love is yours as a result of your suffering. So the process of, of meeting with God um, and his unconditional love is to love him as a result of your suffering. And when you love him as a result of your suffering, you're going to continue to love him and it's going to increase, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. Job 1.6, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you put up a hedge around him for the household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so his flocks and his herds will spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to the face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on this man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out in the presence of the Lord and then he felt the affliction, he felt the pain. Number nine, God desires to destroy the quid pro quo relationship people have with him so the world will see love. This is kind of the message of of the book of Job. Quid pro quo. What is quid pro quo? Let's just define this. Quid is I will do this, pro, therefore, quo, God will do that. This is built inside of us. I will do this, God will do that. And why is it built inside of us? The reason why it's built inside of us is because it's in every single relationship that's out there. We want to be our own God. So you embrace God to get this. That's the statement that we're trying to make. God's different than all the others. He doesn't work quid pro quo. I do this, therefore you get this. He works under the concepts of unconditional love. And the unconditional love carries a power that the world needs to know. 
And the only way that they will know that power is if you don't have a quid pro quo relationship with God. And the only way for God to destroy the quid pro quo relationship with you is to do what? Is to suffer. It's the only way, it's the only way to do it. Because as a result of suffering, what happens is that you arise. Well, who are you? You should be, I should be the one that is anchored into this unconditional love. Not accusing him, not throwing stones at him. Anchored to this unconditional love that though my flesh wastes away, my heart will praise the Lord. And all of a sudden people are looking and go, why would you do that? God is the one that has allowed you to suffer. It's like, no, no, no. I have this unconditional love. And I'm going to give it to the world by you watching me suffer. Number 10, God doesn't make people into greatness by giving them things. He makes people into greatness by giving people himself. Suffering is taking away all the things. Taking away comfort. Taking away peace. Taking away, taking away money. Taking away loved ones. Taking away all these, these things. But God doesn't make people into greatness by giving you all the things. He makes people into greatness by giving him himself. And what he does when we suffer, he's like, here I am, take me. Um, Martin Luther said, I never understood the book of Psalms until I suffered. But then when I started suffering, all of a sudden the book of Psalms just came right at me. And it was alive. It was real. It was relational. It spoke to the depths of my heart. It spoke to my areas as if I was the one that was in there. I didn't understand it. But when I suffered, all of a sudden, I got him. I tasted him. I felt him. I got a joy that I would never had as a result of having all the joy in the world and never suffering. There's a richness that does take place from God. His hand that comes after you as a result of you walking through your trials that you're walking through. Number four, Roman number four, to meet with God during suffering, trust God when you suffer. If you're going to meet with him, you just, you're going to have to trust him. Uh, I tell everybody in their relationships, you've heard me say it before, is if you cannot have intimacy, heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul, mind-to-mind, body-to-body connection with your mate unless you trust each other. Because you protect yourself if you don't trust each other. And you pull yourself away to protect yourself. But if you trust each other, then you can do what? You can give yourself away. And you call that? You call it love. You have to trust God so you can give yourself away to God through the process of suffering. Number 11, a God-sized God has God-sized plans. You need to trust that. But I don't understand God, but I trust you. This is the answer that Job got at the very end. Job 38, who is in the darkness of my can? Who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? All of a sudden, he's getting all this counsel, going through all this suffering, all these answers. And, and God's like, they don't know anything. They don't even know what they're talking about. I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one in control. And I have a plan that you don't know and that they don't know. But Mike Dadera knows in the 21st century because he read the book of Job. And so does his congregation because they have the book of Job. We know why Job suffered. So we can understand God through his book. But nobody else knew why he suffered during that time. Was Job all right with it? 
He's all right with it. God, whatever you want to do through this suffering, it's okay. Because you, you got to have a plan that's bigger than my mind can even imagine. And there always is something bigger than your mind can even imagine. Number 12, God-sized God has a God-sized brain. He's working everything out for his glory and for our good. Job 37, do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his light flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him and perfect of knowledge who marked out the dimensions, surely you know, who stretched out the measuring line across it on what were the footings set. Or have you laid the cornerstone? It goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on about this is, I, 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 I'm the one that's in charge. Why do you act like you know? Why do you act like you figured it out? Why do you question me in the process of your suffering? Just hold on to me. Just hold on to me in this process. Don't throw me away. Don't reject me. Just hold on to me. Because there's, there's a reason. There's something that's going to that's gonna work out for my glory. And you're good in the process of it. And you don't know what it is. And you might not know until the day you die. But the day you die, you will know. The day you die, you will know. 13, the God-sized God has a God-sized reason. What is the reason? Well, I don't know what the reason But we're working with a God-sized God. We're with a God that's bigger than us. Is there a reason? I don't know what it is. But I can relax because God knows. As a result of him knowing, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Number 14, the God-sized God is seen in suffering. It's interesting that when Job went all the way through his book, and I've already kind of talked about this passage, is that we get it. Job opened his eyes to truth. He opened his eyes to truth as a result of a suffering that he would have never had before. And this is the passage at the end of the book. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that observes my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I've seen your hand. I've seen your heart. I've seen your character. I've seen your love through my suffering. I've seen it all, who you are, God, through my suffering. Letter V, sorry, letter five, is looking for answers bigger than your questions, why? We're always asking the question, why, 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 why? We've got to look for the answer bigger than that question because we're dealing with a God who's bigger than us, bigger than our mind, bigger than our purposes, bigger than what we can possibly imagine just asking these questions what is God doing with them what is God doing with me and my suffering what is God doing with the church and my suffering what is God doing with our country and my suffering what is God doing in time with my suffering we want to know these all those things are underlined sorry about that I'll go a little bit slower as those things were supposed to go just just really fast but when you meet with God you want to ask those questions because they're bigger than your mind what is God doing with them? Now, who am I talking about with them? What is God doing with my family when I'm suffering? Does my children need to see God? Yes. Therefore, I'm going to put dad through suffering so my children 
can see the love of God. What is God doing in me? Suffering. You can ask that question. I don't know. What is God doing in me? Is he drawing you right to the throne room of grace and you're feeling the connection of his love in this process? Ask the question because it's, he's thinking more than you are. He's thinking way beyond what you're thinking. What is God doing in the church as a result of my suffering? God might be doing something in the church as a result of the suffering that we, that we go through. And then, and then the next one, what is God doing to our country? You know, in the, God wants to change a country and a revival to take place in a country. You know, persecution will happen. Persecution will take place. What is God doing in a country? Is our churches suffering? Is God wanting to minister to a country? I mean, I mean, people are going to be offended by me saying this, but I think the biggest thing that's, yeah, it's going to be a pretty aggressive statement. The hugest thing, the biggest thing that's wrong with our country is that we have not had war. I mean, what happens is that you unite together and get connected and you walk close as a people, as a nation, when there is something that's coming after you. But when nothing comes after you, you fight within and you just tear each other up. And right now as a nation, we're, we're divided because there's so much, so much, I would say, peace. There's so much comfort. There's so much, well, you got to fight because we always got to fight because we're in this world of pain and death. So if we don't fight here, we, we start fighting each other. It's a sinful nature that is, that is sick, a sinful nature that is, that is twisted. And I'm not saying we should go to war. I don't want to go to war. I'm just saying that we are people that end up fighting. So when we're suffering, even as a, a country, we want to ask the question, what is God doing inside of us? Where is he taking us? What is he thinking? What is he, what, what is he moving you know, as our country? See, open up our minds a lot deeper than just your situation. Open up your mind to the entire country. And then also in time, you know, you look at all the way through, through time, uh, we see the suffering that takes place. Um, God changes the course of the world through different times of suffering. World War II, horrific war, changed the course of this, the course of this world. What is, what is God doing when he allowed it to happen? I mean, it's going to happen, but what's he going to do? It's like when he allowed it to happen, it changed the course, it changed direction. The suffering takes place. God has a big mind. He's got a big head. He's got a big purpose. He has a big mission. And we have one that is ours as we hurt. And what we need to do is to say, God, I don't understand. But God, I praise you that you do. Therefore, I'm at your feet as a humble person saying, you're king of kings, you're Lord of lords, and someday I will know everything that I went through and I will see the purpose, the mission, and why it was even allowed um, even in the first place. So, so we'll let you guys um, ask some questions. But before I even ask questions, um, the other reason I want to say why we're suffering is because we're not wiped out. God could have wiped out at Adam and Eve, but he didn't choose to do it. 
says in John that he is waiting for those he elected to come into his fold. As long as he's waiting, people are being born and people are dying. And as long as that wait takes place, you and I are going to suffer. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with it? It's kind of there. Any questions? Ah, There's one right over there. I don't like pain, but uh, what's the best way to prepare to suffer if it's the only thing that's going to grow our character? Um, The biggest way to prepare is when you're not in pain, be with God. (laughs) I'll just say that. (laughs) What I mean by be with God is be in the word, be in prayer, be at church. When people get in pain, they go to God. But if you be with God when you're not in pain and then suffering comes, then you have God in the process of, of pain. Um, he's the only source that's going to be able. There's no other source. There's no other answer. I mean, we're all going to die. It's just what's going to happen. There's, there's no other answer. So since there's no other answer, on your knees with God is the only answer to walking through suffering. And the reason why it's the only answer is because he went through it with us and he understands it. And it's, it's happening as a result of, of you know, it's, it's hard to say as a result of his hand. But what I mean by as a result of his hand is he should have just killed us and we should just go to hell. <laughs> but he let us live and as a result of letting us live, he suffered. He's going he's gonna to get the blame. I mean, I should have never been born. <laughs> but he allowed me to be born so I could have an eternity with him. But as a result of allowing me to be born... My children were born. Your children were born. And then we keep on suffering in this process. So the answer, I'd say, Peter, is, is be with God now. Not only when you suffer. Be with God now. Because when you start suffering, you already have God. I just The one comment that I read somewhere, when you die, you want to die in the arms of a friend. Many people accept Jesus. They never get to know Jesus. You're not dying in the arms of a friend. When you die in the arms of a friend with Jesus, it's just like, just be my friend. I know him. I talk with him. I walk with him. I work with him. I mean, I read the Bible. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a relationship that we have there. And I'm going to die in the arms of the one that I've had the relationship with in my life. A lot of people are going to die and say, oh, who are you? <laughs> oh, you're Jesus? Oh, yeah. Sorry, let me introduce myself. It's like, you know, that's, that's not what you want to do.